0: You know, we owe it to the people we love to know who we are, to know who we are at our best and who we are when we're not. To know what the best expression of our truest self is, our authentic self is, and when we're just living from the crust around the gold. So yay for writers
1: of all numbers. Yay. We need writers. Writers have numbers? Well, not exactly, but you and your personality have a number, one of the nine Enneagram numbers that helps describe who you are. And of course, who you are has a lot to do with your writing, right? So let's find out who you are and what your writing strengths are. Welcome to the Hope Writer Podcast. This is episode five of season three, Know Your Writing Strengths, Enneagram for Writers. The voice you heard a moment ago was Ian Cron. Ian is author of The Road Back to You, and he's also the creator of The Enneagram Advisor. Maybe you're familiar with the Enneagram. If not, you will be when we're done. Enneagram is an ancient body of wisdom that has grown in popularity recently. It identifies nine personality types and helps you know who you are, what's going on inside of you, and how you interact with the world. In this episode, you'll see how knowing your personality type and being self-aware can be invaluable as a writer. You'll definitely see yourself in this episode. You'll be holding your hand up saying, yes, that's me, yes might even get excited, like I am. And you'll see others you know, too. And you may end up deciding to cut both of you some slack. The Hope Writer Podcast is brought to you by Hope Writers, an online membership community for writers of hope. If you want your writing to give others hope, we want to give you hope. And if you're listening to this episode before the end of October of 2017, and you struggle with finding time to write, and you'd love to be part of a live Q&A with real book editors, Well, the Hope Writer's Guided Writing Retreat is for you. You'll learn how to create your own perfect writing day so you can grow your own writing life. And you'll have a chance to learn all about the publishing business in person from Publishing Pros. It's live and happening in October. Just visit guidedwritingretreat.com. We'd love to meet you in Charlotte. That's guidedwritingretreat.com. Your hosts on the podcast and at Hope Writers are sisters and authors Emily P. Freeman and Michael and Smith, marketing and tech guru Brian Dixon, who also writes books, I'm Gary Moreland, Michael and Emily's dad, my first book just came out this summer. In the previous episode of the Hope Writer podcast... If writing a book is important to you, well, sooner or later, you'll find yourself confronting a book launch. And you'll need more than tips that you find on Google. You need to know how you can launch a book, yet remain a human being whose family still knows you and loves you. You need book launch secrets Google won't tell you. That's episode four of season three of the Hope Writer podcast, the previous episode. In this episode, for several minutes, at some point, it's going to be all about you. Whether you realize it or not, You're going to see and meet yourself, maybe in a way that you haven't before. To find your Enneagram number, you can visit theenneagramadvisor.com for a free assessment. This episode was originally a training inside Hope Writers where Brian talked with Ian Cron and Hope Writer members could ask questions. So Brian did a survey of Hope Writer members and their Enneagram number, and he showed it to Ian, and Ian jumps right into what the nine different numbers mean for a writer.
2: What do
0: you see when when
2: you're looking at this in terms of our community?
0: Well, I mean, I'm not surprised you have a lot of fours. Uh, I'm a four, so yay for fours. You know, fours are disproportionately represented within the creative and artistic community, right? So we believe that there are more sixes on the Enneagram than any other number, right, the Loyalists. There are, the second highest number we believe is our nines, right, the Peacemakers. The least represented number in the population uh, are fours. Wow. So, uh, which makes us feel very special and unique. And you are. (laughs) Yes, and and we are, right? Fours are very attuned, more than any other number. They're more attuned to uh, aesthetics and artistic beauty.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they are... Um, I like to say people who can say clearly what other people feel vaguely. We are people that are very familiar with the inner terrain of, of human beings, right?
2: I love it. Yes. I mean, and that's, and that's what we've seen too. And the perfectionist thing is interesting as well because I know that when we, like when we give really specific training, you know, um, like here's how to write a book proposal – it seems like our perfectionists really, like their ears perk up and they really pay attention to it. Why, why is that?
0: Um, number one, uh, ones wanna do things right, right? They, they wanna be good, mm-hmm. not just in terms, uh, they wanna be you know, good and ethical and they're very principled people, but they're also they wanna be good for other people. Mm. they don't want to make mistakes. So they're always going to turn to experts to figure out, okay, what do I have to do to get this right? They have comparing and judging minds that I didn't say judgmental, just comparing (laughs) and judging. Right. So they want to make sure they're looking around to see, okay, well, how am I measuring up to other people doing the same thing? Right. Mm. But because I think really the big driver there would be, they're wanting to know, how do I do this correctly? Because they're afraid of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. So hard for ones. My, but I have to say that my, um, I've worked with an editor. Mm-hmm. You really want an editor who's a one or at the very least you, you definitely want a proofreader. Who's a one. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you, know, you may not want to. So in other words, you may want a copy editor who's a one, but a line editor who's a, a four or a, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another person that uh, won't get us hung up in the weeds as ones who are not self-aware can do. Ones there's a great quote I'll just tell you this about Oscar Wilde said one time he goes someone said to him, "Well, so Mr. Wilde, what did you what did you do today?" He says, "Well, I got up and I moved to comma and then I had lunch and I spent the afternoon moving the comma back." <laughs> That's, here's a one for you. Just fixated on the details. Okay,
2: real quick, for, for ones, like, what do you do with that?
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, one ones, you know, it's the some of those, just by way of comfort on some, for all the numbers, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Eventually, these, these are so patterned. I mean, we just even know this from PET scans and research that we run loops in our heads, Mm. Right? But what's hard for ones, I think, is they have an inability to stop editing as they write. So instead of just writing and not worrying about syntax, spelling, grammar, punctuation, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff, they get hung up in the weeds of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And then they it just slows them down to a crawl. The other thing that, that will, ones will struggle with is getting started. Like they, they are afraid of making mistakes to the point that it's like, I will procrastinate starting because I'm afraid I won't do it perfectly from the moment I sit down. And that, that's the kiss of death. I mean, oh. That's the kiss of death.
2: Um, my wife and I took the assessment. And like you were saying, you know, assessments are not always 100% accurate. She found out she's a one and I'm a four. And just that, I mean, I actually have to say, but you're a the- three. I'm a three. Sorry. Of course. Yes. Three with a, with a bit of a four wing. Um, But knowing that I'm a one and she's a three for about the next week or so, I don't think there was a conversation we had that didn't involve the Enneagram to a point where it was kind of annoying. Like it was like, well, you're just being a one right now. You're just being a three right now. Oh bad. What do you, what do you say to, because I think when you, when you learn something new, you just want to apply it right away. I'm sure you're experienced that right. Where people just start using it all the time. What would you, what's your advice there?
0: Well, first of all, um, I would tell you and your wife, and I say this at all of my workshops. Yes. The Enneagram, knowing someone's Enneagram number, you should only use that information to, as, a, you know, as a means to encourage, mm-hmm. never as a way to dismiss or to discourage, right? So sometimes i hear people go, oh, you're being such a six, and they walk away. Ooh right? You know, so you don't want to be dismissive. You only want to use it to encourage people. You never want to use it to label people. Hmm. Or, you know, to a degree, you can be predictive with the Enneagram, right? This is how someone might behave. But, you know, it, the Enneagram isn't like magic. It's not like some perfect system that, you know, we found in a cave somewhere in, like in the Middle East or something. It's, you know, it's just a, a, a tool that's imperfect, but it's a great starting place to think about what's going on inside of you as a human being. Hmm. So
2: Beth is wondering, um, how does the wing work? So you have like a primary type, and then can you kind of
0: explain what that means? Sure. So there are nine numbers on the Enneagram, and every number has two numbers adjacent to it, right? So if you're a four, yep. you could have a three wing or a five wing right? So it's the two numbers, one of the, one of the numbers on either side. Now, to be honest, some teachers don't even teach wins. Mm. They're kind of like, yeah, they're helpful maybe or not, but they're not that important. Others really emphasize them. I'm kind of a dead in the middle guy. Yeah. What matters is first of all, knowing your core number, right? So there's one number that you and I default to when we're in what I call automatic self. When we're just being automatic self, it's like we just click right into our number, right? Into its characteristic ways of thinking, feeling, doing, processing information, and reacting.
2: in mm. the moment,
0: Not responding, mm. reacting in the moment. There's a big difference between re- reacting to life and responding to life. One of the great gifts of the Enneagram is, is that you develop enough self-knowledge that in the moment, if you do your spiritual work, right? Right. You can say, I don't, I now know that I'm a four, one, a three, and my wife's a one. Yeah. I now know that if I respond this way, here's where it's going to land in her. And so you can be very helpful to her and to your relationship once you know that. Now to wings, when, when it comes to wings, um, we believe that in the first half of life, one of those numbers is dominant. And that usually in the second half of life, the other one seems to activate and wake up and become a more important part of your life. Mm-hmm. So in the first half of my life, I had a three wing, very strong. Um, and so, in fact, I often still test as a three or a seven. So what happens is the way they work is think of your core number as a piece of steak. I've never, I've never said this before, so <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, imagine your core number as being a portobello mushroom, maybe. Uh, and You're, you've got salt and pepper on either side, right? And you can, so some of the traits, some of the characteristic traits of the three, some of that flavor is going to color or spice up your, your core number, right? Mm -hmm. So as a four with a three, right? Three is the performers, four is the romantics. Right. uh, Sometimes uh, called, you know, uh, the individualists uh, or the tragic romantics. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And you know, as a but with a three, I'm much more of an ambitious four, right? I have more drive. I have more. I'm more goal oriented. I tend yep. to get things done more than fours with five wings. Uh-huh. Fives, fours with fives would be more introverted, more intellectually, more bookish in some ways than a four with uh-huh. a three. Uh-huh. More less interested in uh, promoting what they do right, right. And, but a four with a five or a five with a four is one of the more unusual if not the most unusual combination on the enneagram and if someone has a question about that i can answer it but because you have a number of a lot of fours on here but yes it's a very interesting combination
2: oh alia is actually saying i'm four with a wing of a five and it's super hard to self-promote and also to market myself
0: yeah it's really hard
2: uh, okay, so we have, uh, so our, our, one of the co-founders of Hope Writers, Emily, you know, she, she's a four with a three-wing, I'm a three with a four-wing, and so I think that's part of why we, we work really well together, because we can both kind of speak each other's language. Yep. She has a question here that she posted in the Facebook group. So she's a four with a three-wing, and she said, is there anything you've found as a four that helps to sustain you during long launch periods and promotion periods? So as an example, she's launched four books and several online courses and she thinks that they can be fun and get a lot done. But she also, dre- she says, I dread it with the fire of a thousand suns because I know my recovery from all that uh, thring- we- uh, wing threeness will take me a long time to come back from. Yikes. Any, any, advi- any advice for for launches? We, we know, do a lot I- of launching. We, we launch books here. Oh. You know, we got writers here. So they're sending off proposals. They're sending off speaking contracts. You know, mm-hmm. that's, Yeah
0: now publishing companies rely on authors to be the marketing team. Right. You have to have a, I mean, in fact, it's very, very sad, but unless you have a meaningful following or a platform, it's difficult to get a publishing deal. I mean, it's just harder. Yeah. Uh, it's not enough to be a good writer. You have to be a good writer who has a base of, or an audience base to whom they can, you know, see their work. That said, when I, when I launched a book, what I've learned is on the last two is, that writing a book is easy compared to the follow-up of having to promote it. it it's <laughs> <chilling>. <laughs> That's not what so, they want to hear. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, misery loves company, especially fours. So look, here's the deal. First of all, as a four, you're very hung up on authenticity. That is a gigantic value for force. So going online and promoting yourself, you feel like a prostitute. I mean, it's just an awful feeling, Mm. right? I mean, you feel like I am prostituting myself right now. I am not being myself. I'm being a cartoon of myself. I hate myself more (laughs) than I normally do. Um, Then the second thing is, You know, fours tend to be kind of introverted for the – a little more introverted, generally speaking, right? So particularly fours with fives, fours with threes less. I can – like when I have to go – like I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of – I mean like sometimes double digits a week right now, literally. I mean like two a day or stuff like that or interviews or speaking stuff. And I'm kind of in the middle. I'm an ambivert. I'm somewhere between – an introvert and extrovert. But i it exhausts me at the end of a day of a long thing. So I have to really pace myself during a launch phase. I have to pay attention to my energy level. And at what point am I shutting down mm-hmm. and I'm becoming useless to people? And maybe they're going to start, pick, they're going to misread my, I'm going to use the word energy because we all have a particular kind of energy that people pick up on, you know, play, what kind of mood we're in. I actually have to exit because if I don't, they're going to read me as aloof Mm -hmm. and distant when I'm not, I'm just drained. Uh, So one last thing on fours or threes or threes and fours for that matter. This is where it really gets a little hellish. So the four is all about authenticity and the three is often if this is I'm, Now I'm talking about average range, not healthy, but average range. So the four who's all up on, you know, where authenticity is a key value, the three is very self-promotional and self-marketing typically. Right. right? Yep. And usually very extroverted. And when they're unhealthy in their number or if their personality is unmonitored, they tend to, uh, they can exaggerate. Uh, their to their own to flaunt a little bit yeah. their successes they they can oversell you know if they're really unhealthy they'll do whatever it takes to get the deal done you know uh, so that said the four in your head is prosecuting your three for being a con artist. Or do you see what I'm saying? If you're oh, a four, yeah. the authentic part of you is saying, you con artist, you're a complete, you know, hustler. Or the three in you is looking at the four and saying, gosh, you're, you've are got to get off your rear end and do stuff. You've got to, you know, make things happen. And the four is going, yeah, but I feel kind of melancholy. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. so it's kind of a tortured combination a little bit. Sorry, everybody. It was a four or a three. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: wow. Um Okay, great. Thank you for the, that answer. Um, so Amanda posted in the in the Facebook group here. She said that she's a first of all, thanks for your book, and she said it's so clear and helpful. Um, and she discovered that she's a nine. Mm-hmm. So she said, seeing this in the past year and how I champion everyone else's dreams and neglect my own, yes. or haven't even known what her dreams are. Yeah, and then and then here's where she she's she's read your stuff. She says. Have you found ancient practices like centering prayer or I don't even know how to pronounce this, Lecto Divina. Lecto
0: Divina. Yeah.
2: There you go. And in folks' lives to help them stay true to their truest selves.
0: Yes. Oh, this is a great question. First of all, yay nines. I love nines. You I love nines. i are your favorite? I'm married to a nine and I'm the father of a nine. My daughter's a nine. So I, I love nines and just stroke the nines a little bit. When people ask me, what number would you like to be on the Enneagram, if you could, like, if you could be any other number than the one you are, which one would you like to be? So if I only, if I know that there's kind of a flip question and they just want a fast, you know, witty comeback, I say a seven, healthy seven, right? Uh, Because that's fun. Who Who doesn't like a healthy and Yeah, life of the party. Stephen Colbert, come on. Who doesn't like Stephen, you know, that kind of energetic, funny humor. Yeah. But if they want to sit down and have a really good conversation with me, uh, I'll tell them I want to be a healthy nine.
1: Hmm.
0: And I think in a weird way, like if there is no hierarchy on the Enneagram. So there's no number that's better than another technically, but I kind of think from a spiritually speaking that nines have it over the rest of us. I think there's a reason actually that they're at the top of the Enneagram. They sit on the crown of the Enneagram on the very top.
2: Interesting. Uh, blessed, yeah. are like blessed are the peacemakers.
0: <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. Wow. There you go. You don't see blessed are the romantics, do you? <laughs> blessed are the performers. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> no, don't see any of that. Um, I'm going to use that by the way. That's going in the in this book that I'm writing right now. I'm telling you. Awesome. Uh, so actually right now I'm writing a book on transformation. Like what do you do with your number? Like yeah. so what? Knowing your number actually is just a data point that has no application to your life. You, it mm. doesn't help you figure out how to work into the warp and woof of who you are as a person the information so it becomes transformation. Those are two different animals. Information does not mean transformation. People tend to think it does. Like they think if I read the manual, I've actually done it. Mm. No, 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 no. All you did is read the manual. You know? yeah. So centering prayer is a fantastic, wonderful practice. You know, in the secular world, we'd say mindfulness, you know, right, or right. just a, a, a steady regular practice of quieting the mind, the monkey mind that all of us have. And that's a challenge for different reasons for each number, right? But I would say that for nines, it's great because nines, um, they can fall asleep to their lives. I mean, that's what our friend is talking about here. They, they fall asleep to their own dreams, their own ambitions, and then they merge with the agendas of other people. And they actually adopt the agenda and believe the agenda of the other is also their own. So they forget, hey, I'm a writer. I need to carve out time for myself. I I can't always be merging with my spouse or my children or my job or my friend group and do whatever they want to do and just accommodate and appease. I actually need to reclaim my own ground and say, I am a writer um, and it matters. My writing matters as much as anybody else's vocation matters. My writing matters. Yes. So that centering prayer thing, just to circle back and finish, is really important for nines and for every number because what it does is it strengthens the attentional muscle in the mind. This is really important so that you can step back and move out of automatic self and be able to observe yourself in real time and catch yourself when you're falling into the, Pitfalls, the characteristic pitfalls of your particular number, mm. so you can't actually develop that attentional muscle of you know being able to self-reflect in the moment, what's happening right now, so that you move from reacting to responding. Mm. See, the nines' automatic self will say, without even thinking about it, reflexively will just merge with the agendas and the preferences of others. Yeah, when they become self-aware through Lexio. But I, was, I wouldn't use Lexio. I would use centering prayer as taught by John Maines or Father Thomas Keating or others. Right? I could name others, or I could recommend other books by you know researchers from the University of Massachusetts or Stanford on, on mindfulness practice. But what it does, it strengthens that muscle, and it gives you the capacity to to stop and realize I I have a choice that I can make here. Then that's different than the one I do when I'm just lost in the automatic cell. Wow.
2: Um, we have people asking about their number. So I'm going to try to grab a specific question for the number, and, and that'll kind of uh, be a door to sort of talk about that number. So we've got uh, Sarah Caldwell in the Facebook group said that she's a six, and she'd love to hear any feedback about writing and creativity process when it comes to a six. Can you kind of break down how a six works? How would that in, in influence your writing?
0: You no, know, sixes are called the loyalists, mm-hmm. and they are community-minded. I think they're the glue that holds the world together. Like I think God made more six than any of the numbers of the world would still be here. You know, like they—they they just hold us together. They—they they are people of traditions and values. Sometimes they're called the troopers, which mm-hmm. is a nice—and and maybe that sounds kind of you know to some people as beige or khaki. You know, but I'm always like, are you kidding? Like, right. Everybody claims to be, like, the leader. And sixes can make great leaders, by the way. Mm. But there are very few people who just know how to be on the team. Sixes know how to be on a team. They're great at it, you know. Threes, until you, like, get a little bit healthier or older, you always have to drive the bus. You don't know how to to sit on the bus with everybody else, you know. And so sixes know how to sit on the bus with people. They're great, you know. They don't mind being on a team. Six writers. I'd have to think a little bit about what what some of the struggles would be. She said the,
2: being anxiety ridden.
0: Yes, and, chronic, and longing for security. Yes, chronic warriors. Mm-hmm. So and so for a six, they might get trapped. They're they're very up in their head. Uh, five, six, and seven, which is also the fear triad.
1: Ooh.
0: and so they all have their own fear management systems, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to jump into what they are for the five and the seven. But that six is what they tend to do with their fear and anxiety. And anxiety is a better word than fear, is they look outside of themselves for an authority figure or an expert or a belief system that will... Help them make decisions because they're very, very difficult for sixes to trust their own inner guidance system to make decisions on their own. Sixes are notorious when they're faced with a decision, for example, for running around and asking everybody, I what do you think? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then they wake up in the middle of the night, they'll tell you, uh, I've made a decision at three in the morning, they go, I think I've changed my mind. And you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> stop, you know? So I would imagine that you know, making decisions in writing. And there, as you know, there are a million decisions that have to be made in writing mm-hmm. and worrying, you know, am I going to get this? Am I going to meet the deadline? You know, what if it turns into a drop? What, what if I lose my manuscript? What if I, you know, what if I, my computer? how many, how many places can I back this thing up to, you know, like here's the deal. What, this is a maxim. What, What's best about your number is what's worst about your number. What's worst about your number is what's best about your number, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to, again, develop the attentional muscle and realize I have fallen into the pattern of my number right now, and it's working against the very thing I I'm trying to do.
2: Wow, I think we can all see that in our in ourselves. You call it in in your book. What do you call it? The uh, deadly sin, right? The deadly Mm -hmm. sin of each number. And so how, how would knowing what our deadly sin is help us help us as writers
0: Oh man yeah so, so you've got eight nine and one that are in the anger triad mm-hmm. and for example, the eights is lust right so we, so you, we uh, we would say that lust is not necessarily in, in the sexual sense of the word but more is a lust for intensity mm. a lust for just I mean, They're the most energetic number on the Enneagram. They're like 240 volts instead of 120. I mean, they just are unbelievable. Uh, They push themselves beyond their limits and everybody else. They're aggressive. They're confrontational. They're domineering. They're gigantic presences. You feel them when they walk into a room. It's amazing. I mean, really, my daughter's an eight, and you can feel her walk into a room 15 minutes before she gets there. That's what we always say. Well, I think Kaylee's coming. I can feel her. I mean, she's just—they—they just radiate intensity. Now, that excessiveness could work against you. For example, knowing that she's got that kind of energy, she mm. needs to know when to stop. Aints don't know when to stop. Yeah. Writers need to know when to stop. You need to know where the break is. Like, for me as a writer, I always—and I took this—you know, this was advice I took from a, a famous author. I think it was Hemingway who said, always leave enough in the tank so that when you get up the next day, you have the place to start that you're inspired. I about. love it. Wasn't he the
2: one that would, uh, he would end on on uh, an incomplete sentence so that he would know, like he'd, he'd start the next day and he'd finish the sentence that he left off at?
0: I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, everybody, you know, I think, I'm not a sports fan, but I, I think that writers are like pitchers. Hmm. Right? They have quirky little, like routines, right. <laughs> superstitious kind of things they do, you know, like little OCD-ish, you know, they're kind of always tapping the door or something. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's just how we are. I've got a bunch. So what the heck? Yeah, I love it. So uh, more of a, a
2: general question, but I, th- I think we're, we're getting there. Uh, Abby was asking, does your type influence who your writing resonates with? So does sixes write to sixes, is the threes write to threes? Break that down for us.
0: That's a great question. I I believe that it's probably inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the people in our heads, of the many voices in our heads, we should come back to you, ones. We need to talk about your voices. (laughs) Uh, We tend to have an audience in our mind that we want to connect with emotionally, right? And this is very important, that we have empathy for. There are people that we may not be of that type, but we have empathy for them and for whatever reason. and. As a therapist, I won't go through all the reasons we might, but they ought to be people for the most part that we that we we've, we've chosen to love. Yeah, I, I think writing is a is a act of great love, and and so whether we're writing a hard book about a truth that people don't want to hear, or even a book that is comforting and, and brings solace to people, in both instances, it has to be it must spring from the well of love. I believe that that's my own personal feeling. So I think it's inevitable that we write out of our type and we, again, if we're on automatic self, I mean, this is a great question because actually I'm going to leave here thinking to myself, well, I kind of know who my audience is that I write to, but I wonder wonder if I actually take into account all those numbers as I'm writing to make sure that I'm reaching as many people as I can.
2: So good. You talk about uh, being a healthy or a self-aware type right? So you're healthier, self-aware for what have you. When, when, we, when we kind of teach our Hope Writer members about their reader, often we say, you know, it's you three years ago. You know, it's, it's you before you discovered what you recently discovered. And I think you could even say it's you before you became a healthy version of you. Because a lot of times what we're kind of sharing with our readers is, hey, here's how to figure this thing out that I really struggled with. So that's really interesting. Another thing that we talk about, and somebody mentioned it here in the chat, is having a hard time writing to the critic instead of the reader. And I think we kind of write to our own worst version of ourselves. Do you find that to be true?
0: Let me just say one thing about what you just said, because I think what you just said, you're writing to yourself three years ago, is Mm -hmm. more true for nonfiction than it is for fiction. I've written both uh, and published both. And I can tell you that when you're writing fiction, it's a whole different animal. I think you have to assume your audience, this is how the screenwriters are too. Yep. You must assume your audience is smarter than you are mm. because otherwise you'll try and take shortcuts. You'll write sloppy dialogue and you're right. Your reader's going to say, people don't talk like that. Yeah. Right. Or your characters will be wooden or they will be stereotypes. So that means they're just generalized, you know, kinds of types that everyone agrees they're like this. So in other words, a three is always of an investment banker that wants money. Well, that's just right. not true, that's a stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Right, so you just have to assume you're in fiction, you gotta assume your reader is smarter than you and and as a screenwriter, or they'll be insulted.
2: Oh, that's so good.
0: Yeah, so now for a nonfiction writer, not as much, because you're, you're especially in the self-help world or in the marketing world, whatever it is you happen to be doing, you're trying right. to be productive, that's a different animal altogether. Now, let's talk about writing the critics, okay? Mm. Don't write to critics. <laughs> Bad dog. Uh, you know, I remember writing my first book and thinking, you know, worrying about critics. I'm like, critics, what makes you think that you're even important Not to have critics, you know? The biggest critic you have to worry about is the one in your head. That is the biggest critic you have to, you know, You just, you just need to manage the critic in your head. I could give, you know, ways of doing that. But, like, here's one way. Yeah. Name the critic in your head. Give them a name. Like like I have a friend of mine who's a writer, and he his, uh, is called Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> Do you remember Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? She wow, was right. Horrible, angry, ah, you know, critical, oh, just a vicious human being, you know. Like, like, so he calls her Nurse Ratchet. She lives in his head. And he has to tell her, okay, Nurse Ratchet, I'm going to work now. And I just, I just need you to kind of like quiet down or I'm just really – you just need to know that I'm going to like turn the volume down right now and compartmentalize you. I'm just going to partition you. I'm going to put you over here so I can get to work because you're going to slow me down or make this a miserable process for me. That's so good. Uh, that's Love it. Do a lot of other ways to do it. But, man, critics, you know, really – I've had great reviews. I've had bad reviews. And guess what? I don't remember in my head, with the exception of one, I do not remember <laughs> one bad – you know, because you forget. Who cares? You know, right, like, you right. Didn't, you, didn't, you know, you wrote an article. Who cares about you? <laughs> I wrote a book. You wrote an article. Who cares about you? You know. Mm. So it, it really sits with
2: us. I, I think a lot of a lot of hope writers are writing uh, inspirational. A lot of times, Bible studies or sort of their they're kind of like their their personal narrative. You know, they're they're like this is what today was like, and here's kind of the lesson I learned from that. And it seems like. Kind of like the failure to launch, you know, is is a big is a big challenge of like, what if my words aren't good enough? You know, what if nobody cares about them? And 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 really struggle with that.
0: Do you know what I'm saying? Like in other words, you write because you have to. Sometimes I know writers who don't like writing. I mean, they don't like the process of writing. I don't actually like writing first drafts. Right. I love editing. But, I mean, I love going back and rewriting. In fact, John Irving, uh, you know, who's a genius, said said there are no such things as there's no such thing as good writers only good rewriters that's good isn't that good so I, good i just that has so stuck to me because i've in the writing process found myself going this is just a slog yes and i'm just like i am just inching along here but man when you're when the marble you've cut enough away that you've just begun to see the form and now you're getting into the detail work oh i love it oh i love it um but you got to so, get through the first draft. You got to get through the first draft, yeah, which is yeah. always. If everyone hasn't read Anne Lamott's Bird yeah, by Bird, that's yeah, right. I, I mean, the first two books I read it the I read it through twice just to so remind good. myself of some of those principles. But you know, she talks about the blanky first draft, you know, right. and it's true. Every first draft is a piece of junk, mm-hmm. and you should not expect it to be anything else. I mean, John Irving or you know Steinbeck or. Wendell Berry or Annie Dillard, any of these great writers write horrid first drafts. Mm-hmm. They're horrid. By the way, I don't let my wife see my first draft. <laughs> I—that's the honest to goodness truth. I, I do love not that. let my wife because she's gonna say. No matter what she says, if she, if she says it's genius, I'm gonna say you're lying. And if she says it's junk, I'm gonna go to bed for three days. You know. So. So true. Why burden her with whatever my reaction is going to be? She'll say, how's it going? I'm going, and I'll, she'll, she'll know. She sees my furrowed brows as I walk around the house, you know. Uh, or she sees me happy. She knows how it's going. That's right. Uh, and
2: you're, you're also a songwriter. You know, I, I interviewed uh, John Mark McMillan, and he talked yeah, about, you know, um, close the door, open the door. He said th- those are his two drafts. The one is the close the door where he yells out to God, and he messes up the chords, and he has the cursing still in there. And then he opens the door, and that's where he filters it and edits it and makes it the song that people can actually listen to.
0: Yeah, it's just a wonderful – writing is solitary, which some people like. For some people, it's harder. It's all heart and head work, you know, and you pour yourself into it. You really do. You pour yourself into it. Sometimes too much, you know, you, you become overly identified with your, with your work, you know, and don't even realize that you're separate from it anymore. And that's a very unhealthy space to go to. So I, I empathize with what your audience feels, you know, in, in the midst of it all, but kill the critics.
2: Kill them. Okay, talk about sevens.
0: You know, my son, who is a seven, it's hard for me not to talk about him without smiling because I just, I adore my son. He is so much fun and and so full of life. I always say for Aiden, his name is Aiden, I say, Aiden, for you, every day is a snow day. It could be August and you have a snow day. You just jump yeah. out of bed like, we got a day off, you know, and just that kind of enthusiasm and just joy so about life. So fun. So here's where it's a struggle to be a seven writer. Follow through. Mm. It's hard. They, there's a stream of unfinished products in the wake of a seven. They just, they they can start a million things, but they're so easily distracted. And there's always something more fun to do than writing. And because they really want to avoid unpleasant emotions, particularly the emotion of frustration, boredom, or routine. Those three things are like, to sevens, is like, I've got to get out of here. Like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me are these three feelings. You know, sevens have to recognize that that's how they work. That's who they are. Uh, you aren't going to be able to change your temperament. And as I like to say, you can't change the way you see the world, but you can change what you do with what you, how you see the world, right? So they just have to, with a, for example, meditation practice like centering prayer or things like that, and they develop the attentional muscle and the ability to step back when that feeling of I got to get out of here comes up, you know, they can just say hi, but no. So I would say, say with seven, for example, Set a clock, get a timer, use a something. This is how a different the Enneagram is, right? I would tell an eight, you need to set a clock because if you don't, you won't stop. Uh-huh. I would tell a seven, you have to set a, set a clock because if you don't, you'll leave way too early and jump to something else. Shut off the internet, run from anything that will distract you. Uh, something more pleasurable, something more fun, blah blah blah. You know, sevens. You know, again, this is how self-awareness will help you in every category.
2: Mm. Okay, I saw that one of our one of our hope writer co-founders, Mike Lynn Smith, is here on the line, and she is a five.
0: Tell right. us, tell us about fives. We love fives. Tell us about oh, fives. I love fives. I'm, I've got a five wing. I totally adore them. <laughs> What's pros and cons of a five as a writer? To ask you, does Mike Lynn have a four wing?
2: Okay, Michael, and you're there. She says six-wing. Yeah. Okay, six-wing. Okay. I was thinking, yeah. Okay, so... She fives... said quiet quiet. shout-out for fives. <laughs> quiet.
0: Quiet. <laughs> don't... Yes, exactly. Be quiet now. Don't ask too many questions, especially private ones. They don't want to answer... They don't have too much personal information. So fives are called the investigators. They are the most highly analytical number on the Enneagram. They have incomparable powers when it comes to gathering synthesizing and uh, analyzing information incredible they are also the most emotionally distant number on the Enneagram and they really struggle with believing that they have the internal resources that are required to meet the demands of the world and of relationships like for them Privacy is so important. They need solitude to recharge. If they spend too much time with people, they, I call it the shield goes up, right? It's like a plexiglass shield. When they run out of energy or tank, it's like they go up like this, and you see two of my best friends, Hillary and Chris, are fives. This is what they look at me like or at a party. Oh, my gosh, parties. We've got to take separate cars because they got to go home at 830. I'm ready to go home at 1130. (laughs) You have her number. Around eight thirty, they look at me. At eight thirty, this is what they look at you like. They're like, "I've got to get out of here." I put a period after every single one of those words, and and they're like, they have now gone to power save mode. Yep, they've gone to power save mode. So they they're there, but in their body, but their mind is somewhere over here going, "I gotta go home. I got. Uh, oh, I gotta. I gotta." You know. <laughs> I've got to go recharge my <laughs> tank. I can't take all these people. And there's too much external stimulus in the environment. There are lights, there are music, there are people talking. It's it's too much. I got to go home, right? Oh, bless the fives, <laughs> oh, bless them. We love them. Man. But fives particularly would make, well, I mean, they can do every number, I mean, they could do. They would just have more challenges in certain areas than and they just need to remember every number has challenges what's so great about fives is number one because they love solitude the opportunity for spiritual growth is so great because they love silence the opportunity for growth is so great because out of that silence can spring tremendous creativity let me just tell you this fives make great artists and writers I'll tell you one reason why is because they have the most more than any other number on the Enneagram the the greatest power of observation Uh, the painter George O'Keeffe was a five Mm mm-hmm um, and when you look at her paintings of flowers, which you've seen, I'm sure, right? you know her landscapes, you know that she sees things you would never have seen. And she details them in a way that you go, I've seen, you know, you've seen pictures of like lilies that she's, that she's painted. And you go, I've seen a million lilies in person, but I've never seen a lily until right now. Wow. Because her power of observation and the capacity to tr- analyze it and is so amazing, right? Mm. That you're like, how did you see the lily like that? So as a writer, a five's capacity for describing, you know, and because they, they're, you can always tell a five at a party, they're the satellite. They're the one that circles the party, observing everybody. They, They listen to everything. So if you're writing dialogue, man, you want to have a five. I mean, a five will listen to how people talk when they're sitting on the subway. A friend of mine is a writer, he's a five. He sits and listens to how people talk to each other naturally. And he just uses it, not the actual things they're saying, but just to remember, this is how people speak. Great, 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 great number.
2: That's awesome. I a lot of people found that really encouraging and also true. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. We've covered one, four, nine, six, seven, five. We touched on three a little bit. What about those twos? We have oh,
0: the, of twos. the helpers, yeah. Helper. We have
2: a lot of twos as hope writers.
0: A lot of helpers here. So the helper has a need to be needed and they really enjoy meeting the needs of other people, which is a good thing. But as a by by way of principle, every number uh, uh, the word I use has a superpower. I don't you know, it's kind of a goofy word, but everyone's got a superpower, essentially. A really great gift or strength, which as I mentioned earlier is also their greatest weakness.
2: Right. Right. So
0: the strength of that too is their ability to sense, I mean like psychically sense, like a psychic. They they're unbelievable. They can sense what other people are feeling and needing, even like they can anticipate what you're gonna feel or need. Wow. And their reflex, if they're on automatic self, is to meet that need. Jump in and meet it. Now, usually for an average in the average range of health. Not healthy or unhealthy, but in that average range. But two will sometimes do that because, because they really want something in return, which is your sensing and meeting their needs and meeting them when they need support, right? And that's why when they crash and burn from overcare yeah. of other people, they, become, they can become resentful martyrs. Like, I take care of everybody else, but no one takes care of me. You know, It's like, well, you didn't actually articulate your needs. The reason they didn't articulate their needs is they've spent all their life paying attention there to other people's needs that they don't even know what their own needs are. Oh. So you see how this terrible circle. This is every number. So twos don't feel bad. Twos also are the most sensitive to criticism of any number on the enneagram. Yeah. So everybody light a candle. <laughs> Treat yourself nice. I'm not beating you up. It's just how it is, you know. Oh. These are the cards. You got to, as they say. You got to play the ones that you have. And yeah. so when you're healthy, every single number is awesome. For twos, as writers, I think what's a bit difficult is they're always thinking of the needs of their reader. And, and because, you know, as a rule, they are fearful of disconnection, relational rupture. They might shy away from telling the whole truth or hmm. giving solace when what's really needed is admonition. Or they might. This is a maybe a two problem, and I would caution this for every single number. I think one of the greatest crimes that a writer can commit is sentimentalism. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, when you write in a sentimental tone, hmm. okay, what what you're doing there is is thievery. Actually, you're you're trying to evoke an emotion without earning it. So, like, you know, sometimes you go to a movie and you think, okay, like, if you ever see the movie My Dog Skip, <laughs> here's an example of a movie, right? Right. Some, you know, some kind of, like, Disney movie. And you know they're going in for the heartbreak. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's
2: manipulative.
0: Like, yeah, you're being manipulated. You know you're yeah. being manipulated, but you're going with it because it's a good movie, you know. Or, but most of the time when I see sentimental stuff, I kind of, I bristle. Yeah. Because it's laziness. It's like, it's like saying, all right, I, I'm not earning this feeling. I'm robbing it and the way I'm gonna do it is I'm taking a shortcut I'm gonna go for the heart string I'm gonna pull the heart string and do that that whole thing and when I feel manipulated that way I really dislike it mm. and I, hate to, I hate to say it but a lot of times in the Christian sphere there's a lot of sentimentalism there's a lot of sentimentalism about Jesus a lot of sentimentalism about everything's gonna work out okay uh, there's going to be a lot of wallpapering over stuff in the interest of meeting other people's needs. That's not meeting other people's needs. That's, that's actually telling them a lie. Wow. Do you see how that can get you into trouble? Oh, it's
2: all shappy, uh, shiny, happy, friendly, you know? Yeah. Not, not authentic. You know, yeah. Try to not find out in you know, the you, Bible.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a David Foster Wallace, a great, great American novelist who died a few years ago, tragically, but a genius writer, if you mm-hmm. can get through him. But he has a great quote. He says, you know, the truth, you know, what's that great line about the truth? You know, um, he, he talks about this idea that the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you've you got to tell the truth and let it do its work on people, whether it makes them feel good or you good or meets their needs or doesn't meet their needs. The truth is the truth. You've got to run with it. Okay, so we talked about two. We kind of kind of
2: introduced three a little bit. Um, I, maybe maybe a little bit more on what, what's the what's the danger of being a three as a as a writer?
0: Presenting a false self. That's right. Presenting yourself as yeah. somebody you're not, as an expert, or right. being not being vulnerable but being slick. I mean, I think a three has to experience a a a big crash or yeah. a bunch of crashes. I love
2: this. Tell tell us about
0: this. I have lots of three friends, but their deadly sin is self-deceit. In in other words, they it's not because they're necessarily lying to others, although they can tell a lot of half-truths if they're not self-aware, but they adopt false personas or images to win the approval and the admiration. Yeah. I mean, twos want appreciation, threes want admiration, and so they are very likely if they're not self-aware to be trying to seal a deal with the, with the, you know what I mean? Like make, oh, the yeah. deal. make the deal. And so like oddly, this is so typical at Enneagram conferences that I lead. Inevitably the threes are thinking or actually even saying to me, right? Hey, so how do I learn the Enneagram? So I can go out and teach, teach it. it? And I know they're thinking I'm going to franchise this. I'm going to monetize this. I can raise money for this. Right, Yeah, I could make this thing explode and I know it. and I'm like, okay, well, guess what, dude? It's going to take you years to yeah. study to know this. And they're like, I don't have the time. Got to go. Bye. <laughs> they want the quick win, you know, quick wins are what they are. You can sometimes make a ton of dough or gain a lot of admiration, whatever it is you're doing with a quick win. But, you know, it's kind of like eating rice cakes. It's like, okay, it was filling, but it didn't really do much for me, really.
2: Okay, we're going to do a little lightning round at the request of Kate. And so real quick, I know we can go into a lot more depth, but real quick, just going through the nine, what's maybe one thing that just is an advantage as a writer for for each of the numbers?
0: Oh my God. I know,
2: lightning round.
0: Wow. Put you you on the
2: spot, but I know you got it in you.
0: For ones.
2: Perfectionists.
0: They're just, they're the most meticulous, detail-oriented number on the Enneagram. That could be your best friend, it could be your worst enemy, but it can be a great friend
2: two helpers
0: Uh, um empathy uh now fours are more empathic than twos Mm -hmm. but twos express it in a way they just are the most warm and caring people so the the language would express i love my reader
2: i love it okay threes
0: they get it done man
2: get it done
0: they'll get that i mean they just get stuff done there's no dragging their heels if the if the goal is write a book the book will get done
2: that's right that's me. Manuscript before the deadline, no edits.
0: No edits. That's bang. a three. Bang. Yeah, and you're on to the next book
1: proposal.
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Number four. Yeah. For fours, I already said the word, but it's empathy. Um, they're the most empathic number on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. They have more of a grip on what is going on in the inner terrain of human beings, of themselves. Yeah. And they will write out of that space and they will they can they will touch people. In ways that are in 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 ways that are transcendent, at the tra- level of transcendence, in a way that other other numbers really can't touch.
2: Wow, and we have a lot of fours as hope writers.
0: Yay, fours! All right, going on number five. Power of observation, man. I've already said it.
2: Yeah, so so dialogue is, and detail and everything. Beauty. Man. They just They don't so miss good.
0: anything. They don't miss anything. I've read five writers and thought to myself, "How did you see it?" And and here's the crazy thing. And it was always right in front of my face. And I didn't see it. And you saw it. Yeah. So good. Okay. Sixes, loyalists? You know, I think for, for sixes, and there, there's a ton of six writers. I think because they're worst case scenario thinkers. Mm. Do you know that sixes, I think, uh, oftentimes are the funniest number on the Enneagram? Do you yeah. know that? Like, think about George Costanza. Right, right. That's like an iconic six. Or think about Woody Allen. Yeah. Or uh, George Carlin. These are all sixes. What they do is they take their anxiety and they flip it on their head. They just they just say what they're actually thinking, which is like these crazy things. And then they sound funny. It's like, so funny. oh, my mother, my mother's coming. And they're just like, you know, they're freaking out. And it's like all that anxiety, all that, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, it's like, that is fantastic in writing. Like, by the way, Anne Lamott is a six. It's that kind of like, neurotic. Neurotic, and they yeah. just they have leveraged their neuroticism for the sake of the reader.
2: <laughs> I love it. Okay, so sevens,
0: enthusiasts. First of all, they're incredibly innovative. Secondly, that optimism uh-huh. comes through. And it's not necessary and when they're deep and they've done some work, the optimism like Colbert, who I think is a very healthy seven. Right. Um, from what I can tell, you yeah. know, from his interviews, they just bring so much energy and joy and life to the party and they really make you aware of really the the joie de vivre you know the the fact that it. we are so privileged to be here which
2: brings us to eights the well, challenger
0: well the, they get it done well you know the Zorba the greek they just are what you feel is i think you can actually feel energy in books one of the great thing about eights is they, they would muscle through and I'll tell you this, they'll tell you the truth and they'll tell it to you plain and they'll, they're, they are just shoot from the hip people you, and, and they're loyal and they're honest. Generally, if they're healthy, they're honest, man. I bet you like Dave Ramsey's an eight. I mean, they just come out, punch you right in the face with the truth. And then yeah. if you're smart, you'll go, thank you.
2: Yeah. I know a few, I'm not going to call them out here, but I know a few authors and, and people I've worked with that are eights and- it, it it can be abrasive, but also they tell the truth so clearly that um, you that you learn to really respect their opinion.
0: Yeah. My fours and eights get along great. This is the mm-hmm. strangest thing. The most sensitive number with yeah. the most, with a number that can be can be, not yeah. always. Yes. Yeah. If they are not aware self aware, they are the most insensitive at times. Mm-hmm.
1: Right?
0: They will tell you the truth for your own good.
2: Because they care.
0: They do care. And they have yeah. a very squishy middle. They, they genuinely do. If they're unhealthy, run. Just run. They're, they're not. It's a bad combo. An unhealthy aid is not a good thing to be around. Mm. Nines. The peacemaker. So here's the deal with nines. Nines can see the world from every single point of view. When they're unhealthy, they can see the world from everyone else's point of view except their own. When they're healthy, they have this capacity to see the whole landscape of how everyone sees it. And they see the merits in everybody's point of view. They do it without any judgment. They do it without any sort of an evaluative spirit. They just go, oh, that's how you see it. I like. I can see that point of view. And when you bring that to writing in fiction or nonfiction, and you know how your audience is, I mean, that's like a gigantic advantage, gigantic.
2: Any parting wisdom for us?
0: You know, we owe it to the people we love to know who we are. To know who we are at our best and who we are when we're not. To know what the best expression of our truest self is, our authentic self is, and when we're just living from the crust around the gold. So keep writing. Yay for writers of all numbers. Yay. We need writers.
1: Encouraged? Has this helped? hope so. That was Ian Cron. His book is The Road Back to You. And if you don't know your number, you can take his Enneagram assessment free at the EnneagramAdvisor.com. A lot of Hope Writers have taken that assessment. Hope Writers is a whole community of writers on the same journey you are. You're not alone in your questions. Hope Writers is a place with answers from friends. You can join Hope Writers for just $1 for a week at HopeWriters.com slash trial. It's the next best thing to your own personal writing mentor. Go inside Hope Writers now for $1 for a week at HopeWriters.com slash trial. And some final words of hope from writer Shannon Hale. Writing a first draft is simply shoveling sand in a box so that later you can build castles. Thanks for listening.